Welcome to the Intentional Family Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Schmitz, and I am joined yet again by my husband and co-host, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Good. (laughs) Here we are again. Someday we'll have to have another guest on this podcast. Yeah, we have some ideas. Yeah, we have some ideas. I would love to have my sister and her husband on and talk about Mm. overcoming and how to create confident children. That's one, probably their first guest we'll have on. Just a little challenging to coordinate because they have four kids, they both work. It's true. But we got to make it happen. Yep. But today we are actually going to talk about purposeful training or discipline learning. A few different ways to say that. But training is actually teaching a behavior over time. And I really like that definition because it really speaks to how our brain was designed by God. Because if you know anything about like neuroplasticity and how the brain is, what is, uh, what is fired in the brain is rewired. So the child's brain develops uh, and, it, and it keeps developing until age 25, actually. Crazy. And even, so you have a child's brain, but once they hit the teenage years, it's almost like the brain gets a complete rework a complete remodel because they start to uh, critically think so much more. Mm -hmm. And the upper part of their brain really starts to fire um, stronger pathways in problem solving. And it's really, really fascinating. And with training being what you teach, behavior that's taught over time, that's good news. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't, how often do we get something the first time? Yeah, It's not very often that we get it the first time. And that's why repetition is a teacher's best friend, a parent's best friend. (laughs) It doesn't feel like a best friend sometimes. (laughs) That's why you can't just work out once and miraculously have a strong, fit body. Mm, It's true. training over time. And again, I always come back to that. But that's like a pain point in my life that's been really a struggle to be consistent. And I'm going through something right now where it's Literally a pain point. (laughs) Literally a pain in my left shoulder, not like the whole area. So it here I am again, consistency, consistency, consi- consistency. Like it's the same story mm-hmm. over and over. Still learning our lessons. Yep. <laughs> I love what Isaiah 28, 10 says. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Keep going. Yep. I want to go back a little bit to something that you said about the kids' brains developing. And really, when they get to be teenagers, how it's completely redone. And you mentioned kind of like the critical thinking, logical piece of that. And uh, a ancillary area to that maybe is this whole idea of emotional intelligence or social emotional learning, which mm-hmm. I have a keen interest in. But I recognize from the research that I've done on that topic that those social emotional skills which are really interpersonal and intrapersonal communication. So how do you communicate with other people? How do you communicate with yourself? That those are the skills that get developed later in life. And there's a big emphasis on social-emotional learning in the schools right now. It's kind of agitated by the fact that everything was shut down during COVID because how do you teach social-emotional skills when you're not in the same place together? Mm-hmm. You can do some things digitally, but it's a little bit harder if you're not quite sure what you're doing. It doesn't happen by accident like it would in a, in a classroom. But 
um, it's interesting that those skills are part of that group of skills that don't get developed until later. And there's this emphasis to work on these before the brain can actually retain, <laughs> you know, the those skills. And so I, I want to just call out there that the brain is designed a certain way and you can wish that you could develop these skills earlier, but the truth is that you can't. And mm-hmm. there's a season for everything and uh, really the doing the right thing at the right time, that's the, the goal. That's yeah. hitting the mark. If you're doing the wrong, right thing at the wrong time, then it's the wrong thing. Yeah. And so recognizing the season that your kids are in is very important when you want to train them effectively. Right. Yeah. And that's that's very true. And it it is a process. And it's interesting because children, we're born naturally functioning with the lower part of our brain, the limbic system, where it's just your body's natural response to things. So that's where emotions are. That's where your fight versus flight and your the fear and all that stuff. That's where that is. And then as we start helping them develop and connect with the upper part of their brain, where it's more logical and actually thinking before we act sort of a thing, like that's great, but we have to always keep in mind that our kids, if their brains are developing till they're 25, keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. When they fly off the handle and they're like 15, they're still developing. I mean, <laughs> how many times as adults with yeah. our so-called fully developed brain do we function out of the lower system instead of consciously making an effort to be <laughs> calm and respond instead of react? Yeah, the, I have to remind myself of this because there's one of our kids in particular that I <laughs> ask him, what were you thinking? And the truth is he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's not a knock on him. It's just right. literally exactly biologically what is going on in his yeah, brain. That's like, where he's at right now, yep. And that's really good to keep in mind because we, mo- we won't make an indictment against our child's character or feel like we're failing as parents because this is part of life. This is part of training, teaching behavior over time. Mm -hmm. And another word I love for this is called discipleship. And in our lives, being that we are believers, we believe in God, we believe in Jesus, we're Christians, discipleship is a big deal for us. So, But I'll explain what it means. It's simply, the Greek word is to learn. So discipleship is a mode of teaching others what you've learned and passing it on. So mm-hmm. it's not forgotten or la- or lost, and they in turn pass it on to others. So it's like this generational, uh, uh, almost compound effect where it's a ripple. It starts with you, you teach what you know, and it goes on from there. So yep. training, discipleship, the same thing, just two different words. Yeah, it's kind of interesting as we record this yesterday. I was Yes, I was hoping you'd mention this. Yeah, <laughs> we had a commissioning service, we call it, because our church is connected with the Christian Men's Network, and they have this curriculum that you go through. And then once you've gone through the curriculum, there are nine books you have to go through. There's final exams that you have to complete. And after all of that, you put in all the work, then there's this commissioning ceremony where you get a sword. It's a symbolic thing. I have mine hanging on the, the wall in my office here. And there's a plaque on it that says, this date, this your, your name is commissioned to minister to men. And it's based off of 2 Timothy 2.2, which says, the things that you have heard me teach, commit also to faithful men. Uh, and people being consistent, right? Faithful, continuing to show up, even though you don't feel like it, even though stuff happens, you keep presenting yourself. 
And then you combine that with Matthew 28, very last thing Jesus said, <laughs> go and make disciples. Yeah. Right. So this is the the model. And I really love this commissioning cer- ceremony that we had because it uh, I've been a part of this church now long enough that I can see the legacy that's been left here. There are in our church, we have a small church, but there are now 10 different people who have been commissioned and uh, two people who have been commissioned who have passed on. And one of them is the person who discipled me and got me connected with this men's ministry and went through the curriculum with me when I really wasn't sure if this was the church for us, this is the place for us. Who am I? You know, that's sort of thing. (laughs) But he was selfless and he's like, I'm going to help this guy. And uh, happened to be my brother-in-law's father and his sword is up on the stage representing, you know, he was a part of this. He's no longer here, but I am who I am today because he discipled me. And it inspires me and encourages me to not just reproduce that in my kids, but yeah, other men, other mm-hmm. people who were like I was back then and didn't really know which end was up and needed someone to <laughs> show me how to be a good husband and to be a good father. Yeah, And I'm very thankful for those people. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about training and discipleship, I guess the the bigger point here, in addition to the commissioning ceremony story and this being a vital part of who we are as as Christians, but also just you don't really know who you're impacting. Yeah, The Christian Men's Network has all these people who have literally changing nations. <laughs> and uh, it's always starts with one person mm-hmm. you know, who gets a hold of the message and they're like, this is what my country needs. And they bring it back and they start telling people. And mm-hmm. Pretty soon, their whole world has changed. Yeah, you know. So we got to think bigger, though. We can't be selfless, or we can't be selfish. We have to be selfless. Yeah. When we're thinking about training and discipline. Yeah, and with training and discipleship, it has to be purposeful. It's not just training for the sake of training. It's you have a desired end. You have a goal that you're reaching. There's a clear path to get there. It's very, very calculated. It's very intentional. It's clear and concise. It's a narrow path. It's not a broad path. The Bible speaks about broad is the way, but narrow is the path that leads to life. There is a clear, a direct way to get there. And mm-hmm. it is, the path is discipleship. It is training. It is passing on what we know is right to do. And we never know who is on the other side of our obedience. Yep. And our children, we have no idea the potential that they have. And for us, we have we have a scripture that we prayed about and God gave us for each of our children that kind of sets up an idea of their destiny. Mm-hmm. And so that's like that's what guides us with each of them. And also with other people. You know, I have a young person in or not say a young person. She's actually the same age as me. I'm still young though. Hey, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> age is just a number. <laughs> yep. But we went to high school together and it's been really neat because I've stayed connected with her periodically, not consistently, but just there for her when she's needed someone. And years and years later, she is now a part of our lives. Her husband is in my husband is her husband is in my husband's discipleship group mm-hmm. and they are they're doing awesome and mm-hmm. they have three children and they are discipling their children they are making yep. a step they are being discipled they're letting others and that segues into if you're going to pass on something 
first and foremost, we have to be in a place that we are submitting to someone. Yeah. That we are being trained ourselves. And we're always being trained because we've never arrived. I love the story of, I believe it's Lester Summerall, who he was 80 years old and he was praying and he's like, God, what do you have for me? What, you know, am I done? And, or what do you, what's next? And it was something along the lines of, well, you're at the point where I can trust you now. This is God <laughs> speaking to Lester Summerall. Yeah. And he had him do this incredible ministry the last portion of his life. And that just goes to show that those that are humble, those that are eager, those that are willing will be discipled, will be trained for the rest of their life. And yep. the more we receive training, the more we receive correction and teaching, the more we can better pass that on. We can't pass on what we aren't. We can't pass on what we don't know. Yeah, our desire is that our kids become lifelong learners. And we a big part of that is being able to handle correction. And uh, they're not going to receive that if we aren't willing to be corrected ourselves because they're going to view the fact that we're trying to correct them, but we never get corrected as simply an age thing. And they're going to be like, well, that's not fair. Mm -hmm. So we have to model the behavior that we want to reproduce in them, regardless of our position. You know, the title means nothing. Mom or dad, that that means, it means very little in the eyes of a, a child. Your character speaks a, a lot louder than that. So what they see you doing, that's what they're going to latch on to. You're going to reproduce who you are, not what you say. Yeah, absolutely. They Kids are so discerning with that. We could say one thing and we could say, hey, you should be doing this. But if they never see us doing it, what are they, they're, they're not going to, we're not going to have any leg to stand on. We're not going to have any foundation because our lives don't match up with our words. Mm-hmm. We're speaking out of both ends of our mouths. We can't do that. Yeah. And it's, I've actually wrapped up an episode recently where I asked you, listener, who is a mentor or leader in your life that speaks into you? If you don't have one, I implore you to find one. Yeah. Someone that is like-minded, someone who believes the same as you, who can pull you higher, who's gone farther than you. They could be younger than you. That's true. So yep. I guess don't get um, don't get caught up in natural things like age or anything like that. Who is that person if you don't have them? And if you do have them, are you really connecting to what they're saying? Are you really receiving it? Are you really making the most of that relationship? Yeah, I can tell you because I lead a discipleship group at church, but I've been involved in a lot of different people's lives. And I can tell the people who really connect. And when they connect, it almost like pulls it out of me. Yeah. And then there are people who you're trying to share with them and you can just tell it's going in one ear and out the yep. other. And those conversations are difficult for me. It's really hard, even though I am full and I have things that I want to share with them, it's hard for me to let that flow when there isn't a draw on it from the other person. Mm -hmm. But when someone really wants to receive, then it's effortless. Yeah. And I, I think that's not just me. I think that's anybody who i would say so and so you could be in either either position in that relationship you know you could be 
the discipler. You could be the person who is who knows more and is training somebody. Uh, and in that case, I mean, with your your kids, they are who they they are, and we're going to continue to try to train our kids uh, regardless. But when when you're looking for people who who you can help uh, outside of your family, you want to look for those people who care about what you have to to share and then just don't be selfish with it. Just let it flow. But then likewise, uh, you might be surprised the people in your life that actually have a lot to give you Mm -hmm. and they just aren't going to waste their time with people who don't want it. Yeah. So if you ask for a meeting, let me buy you lunch or whatever, you know, you might be shocked at, what you have access to just from the relationships that are already in your life, but you got to put yourself in a position where you're humble enough to receive it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Pride will prevent us from being trained and being discipled. And then we won't be helping other people. Yep. Because it, we have to be like a river, not a reservoir. So we have to be continually receiving life, receiving the good stuff. <laughs> and then continually be giving it out Mm -hmm. because if we have that uh, that like if you go to a river if you can imagine a beautiful river where it's fresh water and there's a constant flow that is the picture of what our lives are meant to be but if we're not receiving and we're just consuming screens and junk all the time and news we're going to be a reservoir and what happens in a reservoir without any inlet or outlet it stinks (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it festers it smells and that is a picture of our life we can be a river or we can be a reservoir and we can each ask ourselves, how am i living a reservoir that never gets any input is a cesspool Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so you're right we want to have an inflow we want to have an outflow Jesus says, I am the well that never Never runs runs dry. dry. So when it comes to pretty much anything in your life, you can have two different mindsets. You can have a scarcity mindset, which is I better hold on to everything that I've got because I don't know when I'm going to get more or an abundance mindset where you're just freely giving it away Mm -hmm. because you know you can always go back and get more. In fact, the more that you give it away, the more it's given to you. And that's the thing that is a hard switch to make for a lot of people, but it's pretty cool to see the light go on in people's eyes when they recognize that the more I give away, the more I get. Yeah. As long as I stay connected to the vine, mm-hmm. right? John 15, and there I allow myself to be poured mm-hmm. into, then I'd never have to worry about not having enough to give away. Yeah. Yeah, and that reminds me of just finances. Um, we're believers and so we tithe the first 10 percent, the top 10 percent of everything we receive for income we give back to god the gross and that off the gross yes that is our statement saying we don't live in the now in this bill this oh this need this this we put god first and we trust that he will take care of us because yep. if he cares for the birds if he cares for the <laughs> for the flowers in the fields how much more does he care for us? And then also with that, giving to needs as we see them. If someone mm-hmm. has a need that we see, like having that heart, that big heart to give, we will always have enough. Hoarding 
it just goes bad. It gets dusty. It goes. It gets nasty. Mm-hmm. If you've seen those hoarder shows, that is a picture of what happens on the inside when we live in a stingy mindset and we hold everything. I like that term, stingy mindset. I might have to use that from now on. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, stingy. You're just holding on so tightly to everything because we're so afraid that we won't have enough. Whereas if we keep our hands open, yep, ready to always give, and that's a picture too of our children. We have to hold our children lightly. So God has given us our children to steward them, to train them and disciple them. Just They're not us mine. With these special little people. They're not ours. Yeah. They're God's. And so instead of gripping tightly, my hands are open and I am holding them very, very lightly because they're not mine and I'm simply a steward of them. I'm trying to do the best with what, if I can do the best that I can with what is another man's, then Mm -hmm. I can be trusted with more and God can enable me to do more. And ultimately what they need to set them up for their best life is not anything that we can give them naturally. They need to hear from God and understand who they are and why they're here. Yeah. So we take that when you talk about holding them lightly, you know, we're not trying to tell them this is what you're going to do. You mentioned the verses for their lives. Uh, We go to God and we ask him to show us who these people are so we can help point them in the right direction. But ultimately, they need to get to that point where they're hearing from God themselves and they know because God spoke to them, not because mom and dad have told them Mm -hmm. that this is what your life is about. Right. And when we're training them, we want them to succeed. We want them to do great. We want them to excel. And if you've had a great coach in your life or pastor or parent, a leader that inspires you, that has trained and pushed you to be your best, then it's not always comfortable. And I can tell a story that from this last week of our one of our sons, two, our two oldest sons are in middle school soccer together. And my husband's actually coaching them. But this last week, they had a special soccer camp. And it was led by a man who has over 30 years of experience in soccer and in training soccer players. And my son was expressing frustration when we were coming home from camp, saying that he was trying so hard and he was doing really great and he was getting past all the defenders and he scored. And he was continually being challenged while the whole team was all right, keep going. Yep, keep doing better. Come on, you can do it. And some other kids' efforts were praised, but his weren't necessarily, but he was really doing great. And I explained to him that that's what good coaches do. They keep (laughs) pushing you to do better and they keep giving you these micro adjustments to improve. Yeah. And if you're getting accolades the whole time, you're just going to rest on what what you're doing because you think you're doing great already. Yeah, there's a saying that I actually heard from a coach that said, I will treat you all fairly, but I will not treat you equal. Yeah. And that's exactly what a good coach does because this son in particular, he's pretty athletic. He's one of the better players on the team. So it's easier for him to excel than some of the other people on the team. He's bigger, he's faster. He's just got more skill than some of the other players on, on the team. So in terms of pushing people to be the best that they individually can be, if you compare yourself to other people, you can say, oh, well, I'm doing pretty good. But a good coach can see your potential. Mm -hmm. They can see your ceiling. And even though you may be doing everything right at the moment, 
and you may be giving it everything that you've got, a good coach won't let you be comfortable there yeah. because they know that you can do more. You are capable of more even when you can't see it. Yeah. And sometimes they will make you angry. <laughs> sometimes they yep. will push you in ways that you don't want to be pushed, but you can look back after the fact and be like, oh, I see what they were doing. That's the thing that got me to this point right here. Yeah. No, it's so good. I mean, someone who's not a good coach will just keep praising. Oh, you're doing such a good job. Okay. No, the good coach will be like, you know, if you if you do this this way a little bit, if you come around the defender, if you kind of mm-hmm. if you do a one touch where you I actually I don't know anything about soccer. I'm just trying to reiterate some <laughs> you things. Pretty I've good so far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but why is this so important? Why is training and discipleship so important? Well. I really love uh, the heritage of the Jewish people. And one, maybe you've heard this phrase, but we're one generation away from losing everything we have. Mm-hmm. And that is the importance of passing on what we know. Yep. And I love what Psalm 78 says. Oh, my people, listen to me. Hear my instruction. Soak up every word of what I am about to tell you. I will open my mouth in parables. I will speak of ancient mysteries. Things that we have heard about, things that we have known, things which our ancestors declared to us again and again. We will not keep these things secret from our children. Rather, we will tell the coming generation all about the praise that is due to the Eternal One. We will tell them about His strength, power, and wonders. And I just love this picture because it's it kind of has that repetition to it. Like we're going to mm-hmm. treat, we're, we, we're going to do it. We're going to train them. We're going to pass it on. And I, in the customs of the Jewish people, they would, they had an oral tradition where they would pass it on, pass on the faith from one generation to the next. And it was, it's very common for Jewish children. I forget at what age, but they have the whole Torah memorized. They have whole mm-hmm. five, first five books of the Bible memorized because that is what would impress them upon their children, which it says in Deuteronomy 6, 7, impressing them, indelibly imprinting the faith in their children from the get-go. That's discipleship. Yeah. So why is that important? I mean, uh, this is a rhetorical question, uh, but because uh, I know the answer, <laughs> but why why is the faith the thing that you want to indelibly imprint? For us, that is our foundation. Yeah, Without that, we have nothing. That's ultimately who we are. Yep. It, and we believe in the creator, the one who has no beginning and no end, the one by which we have life eternal, and the one by which we have a purpose on this life here on earth. That is our identity first and foremost. Yep. So that is keeping the main thing the main thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you wanted to apply this in other ways, you could do that. You know, you're just choosing for yourself what is the main thing, but that's the way that that we do that. And then the the principle is whatever is super important about establishing this identity that is the thing that you say over and over and over and over and mm-hmm. over and over and over 
It's why we have our family core values printed and hanging on our living room wall so yep. our kids see it yep. every single day. This is who we are. This is who we are. Every fiber of our being. Yep. This is who we are. And ultimately, that determines what we do. Yep. Everything that we do gets filtered through those core values. Is it not in agreement? Then we don't do it. And that takes a lot of training. Mm -hmm. it, it takes a lot for us too. I mean, when we established those core values, we made them up. <laughs> we determined for ourselves what was important. And maybe some of that stuff we had kind of been living out, but the moment that we wrote them down and they became official, it's not like, oh, now all of a sudden, because we decided <laughs> one time, you know, everything is automatically going to be in alignment with this. The clouds break and here comes the sun shining down on our perfect family. That's <laughs> <laughs> not how it works. Uh, you funny. have to fight for <laughs> yes. alignment. You have to fight for alignment in your family. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what your kids are doing, especially during their teenage years, is they are fighting for alignment in their identity yes. as a person. They're mm -hmm. trying to figure out why am i here what am i supposed mm -hmm. to do not to make mom and dad happy no but what's the thing that's going to scratch the itch of my soul <laughs> yes yeah and that's the upper development of the brain that happens as teenagers that critical thinking all of that problem solving solving they're coming into their own and they're determining is what all these things that got that um, my parents have trained me that has gotten me this far is that true yeah. and they're asking these questions and the whole training from the time they're little to that point where they have to decide for themselves, the age of accountability, it's not this brainwashing, we're just going to make you be lemmings and just follow this Correct. at all. The yep. training is to give them the foundation. And I love our school curriculum because the elementary phase is called Foundations for a reason. That's why the Jewish people have the young children memorize the first five books of the Bible because their brain, they are master memorizers. Mm -hmm. Every child, give, give them the opportunity. They are masters at memorization. And that memorization, what it does, it, it, it builds this incredible foundation in their life, in their brain, so that they have enough knowledge so that when they reach starting fourth, fifth, sixth, and beyond, they start to be able to express themselves. And mm -hmm. then they get to start really debating as they reach the high school years. And when it's done right, it's incredible mm -hmm. how well and how established that they are. Can we talk about Star Wars for a minute? Of course, always. Because <laughs> I just realized <laughs> that the role of the parent in relation to especially a teenage child, I would say, is a lot like Luke Skywalker and Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> so Yoda is the trusted guide. Mm -hmm. But there is a point when Luke is training with Yoda and Yoda is trying to tell Luke, you need to stay, you need to finish your training. But Luke is gonna Luke and he's gonna make his own choices and he leaves because he's trying to save his friends right he's he's got an emotional reason for leaving and he just can't see past that particular moment and Yoda's like no you gotta you gotta stay you gotta finish you can't control your kids choices but if you do the right things and you say the right things over and over again when they are young when you train them not just haphazardly, not just how you feel, but when you are training them according 
to like for us it's it's the bible and it's consistent and we're at church a couple times a week and they are saying the same thing so there's alignment there and they've heard these things over and over and over again and then they get to the point where they are teenagers and they have to figure this stuff out for themselves it can't just be something that they've heard their sunday school teachers say their youth pastors say or even mom or dad say they have to land on this for themselves but when you have established a firm foundation and you're not the single source of truth because mm-hmm. <laughs> they will determine very quickly uh, all of your all of your hypocrisies they they yeah. will they can sniff that stuff out so if you base it off of your own character and your own in- integrity um, because i said so that's not going to last very long but there there is a a point I, I feel we're kind of getting to that point where if you've said the same things you've been consistent then they will come to you as the trusted guide and they will seek your guidance on certain things. They will ask the questions and that's the time when you can really dig deep in stuff. Mm-hmm. Until then, you're just continuing to lay the foundation brick by brick, line upon line, yeah. precept upon precept like you talked about. Yeah. And then you recognize those moments mm-hmm. when they are really curious and they really want to know what you have to say. And that's the time when you go into Yoda mode. Yeah. <laughs> and be... Always be available to answer those questions. Yes. Be ready to stop what you're doing and prioritize answering their questions. Because when we do that, they will ask us more questions. There and this is that's, nothing more important. Yeah. And that is one of the things we have identified that we want as an outcome with our children is to have a relationship with them where they will feel comfortable coming to us with any question. But you don't get that by not answering questions. Yeah. And we have to be ready as parents to stop our lives and realize that that is way more important. And when Mm -hmm. they're little, it's answering the silly questions, the ones that they could literally read off the page that's in front of them. (laughs) If you had read the, the words in front of you instead of just looking at the pictures, you wouldn't have even had a question. But that's not a reason to dismiss it either. Yep. So as they get older, the questions get a little bit harder, yes. which is where you can't pretend to have all of the answers. And mm-hmm. if you've done a good job of modeling what it means to be a disciple and you're being trained yourself, then they're not going to hold it against you when you say, well, I don't know. Yeah. And you have a another higher source of truth that you can go to for the answer. Yeah. And some of the like awkward, hard conversations that are stereotypical for families like the sex talk and different things or different issues in politics or in our world that are hard Mm -hmm. to answer those are not hard to answer when we are parents that will answer questions because when they come up naturally and their curiosity is piqued that is when they are ready to hear the answer and it may come at a time that you didn't expect it Mm -hmm. like i remember toby asking a question i think he was 10 or 11, some, I think 10, uh, about, about I don't know. It led into the sex talk, let's just say <laughs> that. And his younger brother was eight at the time, and he was there because the other ones were in bed already. Yep. And he heard the whole conversation in our answer. Mm-hmm. But it was okay because we want to normalize life yeah, and, and not make anything strange, awkward, or weird. And that wasn't just a single point in time either. No. Maybe we have a whole episode on the sex talk. I don't know. Although I still feel like we're figuring it out as we go. No. But it's a conversation. Yeah. So we've actually talked about it multiple times mm-hmm. when things have come up. It wasn't just, okay, now we're doing this 
and now we're done and we never speak of it again because yeah. you know yeah <laughs> that's yeah. kind of what mine was like <laughs> yeah yeah and different levels they'll need to know at different ages mm-hmm. like the initial talk is very basic yeah and then as they grow and develop their own bodies develop as they get 13 14 and they need to figure out how what do i do with these feelings yep. that's a whole nother talk yep and yeah they got to process it in pieces it's like a little lifelong conversation we have with them the door is always open to yep. ask questions and answer questions right which is so healthy that's and beautiful what being trained is <laughs> and which is teaching to have great communication mm-hmm And that's something that we always are trying to improve in ourselves, in our marriage, and modeling that. The weeks that we don't communicate are hard. The weeks that we communicate are so much easier. It's true. (laughs) And that's really what training and discipleship is. It's communicating. Yep. Communication is the... uh, What is that? How does that go? Communication is the basis of life for a family, for a business, for a relationship, for a ministry, anything. Yeah. There needs to be communication. Yep. So again, I ask you, are you being trained? Do you have a pastor, mentor, or coach in your life that can challenge you? If not, I implore you yet again to build this relationship in your life and be trained so that you have life in you that you can pass on. You can identify that you are a trainer, you are a discipler, and your children are the students. Other people in your life, are you passing on life, truth, and wisdom to them in your training? Thanks for listening to the Intentional Family Podcast. It's an honor to walk with you in this journey. We can be found at intentionalfamily.fm. Until next time, join us in living life intentionally. Intentionally.